Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. And the question you read before you clicked on it was, are you missing the harvest? This directly relates to the passage in scripture, specifically Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35, and I'll read it. And it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Charles thought it would be a good opportunity to discuss a pilot project that I've been working on in my area regarding Christians not waiting for someone else to send out workers or laborers into the harvest, but recognizing ourselves as those laborers. Yes, and I think this is a big challenge for everyone who seeks to be faithful. We recognize we have our own limitations as to what we can do, but nevertheless, our field of harvest, if I can call it that, is a big one for each of us individually and collectively. We can have a major impact, but the question is, where do we focus our attention and how has the Lord blessed us with opportunities? I'm curious to know the one, the project that you have found uh, the Lord has provided you with, and it's an opportunity also for a lot of other people. Could you just describe that project in some sure. detail? So let me just preface it by saying harvest, seeding, planting, the gospel is full of allusions to farming, or we'd say gardening. And one of the things I learned in my short foray into trying to have a successful garden is impatience doesn't work when it comes to getting a yield. If you yank the fruit off the tree too early, you don't have good fruit. If you leave it on too long and it falls down and it rots, you don't have good fruit. So one of the things you have to recognize is when the harvest is ready to be gathered up. And so Chalcedon, and we've talked about it in general in our podcast since we started, has a very strong emphasis on the need for Christians to be educated in a Christian way. And we can lament how bad statist education is. Well, we were really given a gift from my perspective with the school shutdowns with COVID-19 because more and more people got to see that having their children at home was not a horrendous catastrophe and they actually sort of liked it. And they realized how the, they, there was this mystery of how education took place. And then the mystery wasn't there anymore because now they had to do it. And in many cases, even though it wasn't necessarily in their comfort zone, they realized they could. And what 
also came to light was the propaganda that's being pushed on students in state schools. Now, at Calcedon, we published a book a decade ago called The Harsh Truth About Public Schools by Bruce Short. So the things that a lot of these parents came to understand, we'd known about and talked about for a long time. But this COVID shutdown brought, from my perspective, the harvest ready to be um, have laborers sent out because now many Christian families were saying, I don't want to send my child back to public school. I don't want to continue with online education. So that was the impetus of, of looking at this and, and relating it to the passage that says the harvest is ready. And I think one of the realizations that some people have come to both in terms of recent events but even before that is a recognition that the education of one's children is a godly calling. It is something that all parents are uh, required of the Lord to do, but also it is unavoidably uh, a foray, a, a practice into religion. You know, we tend to think of education as a, quote, secular activity. We've been taught to think that by people who want us to, but the teaching of children unavoidably involves the communication of a worldview. And I recall in the early days of my wife and I being involved in homeschooling, encountering different types of homeschooling folks, Some, most of whom, or excuse me, let me say some of whom were concerned about the conditions in the government schools, and that was their main impetus. A few might make that transition to recognize that this, that's, that's a problem, but there's a much bigger issue here. Whose responsibility is it to educate my children? Is it the government's? Is it somebody I really don't even know that well, uh, a.k.a. the teacher? Or as a Christian, as someone who seeks to obey the Bible, what does the Lord say about this project? So let me ask you, in light of that, do you find in terms of the current situation, have people reached out to you and say, I, I hear you're a tutor, I hear you're a mentor, can you give me a hand with this? or have the opportunity to sort of present themselves to you and you've pursued it yourself? That's a good question. And the answer is yes and yes. <laughs> okay. Um, but let me just explain how, what I mean by that. And simply put, as people come to an understanding that things are not right, things are not right in our society, things are not right in our schools, they begin to ask the question, why? And one of the benefits of the last year and a half has been people start examining things that they took for granted. So, for example, when there were church closures and people said, well, we have to close our churches because, or we have to do this because, I believe that the spirit of liberty has arisen among Christians, not all Christians yet, but among Christians and they're looking for alternatives. Now, the problem is if you don't know you have alternatives, it becomes difficult to pursue anything. So you can say, I hate what we have to do. This isn't right. But I believe, and part of it is because I've been focused on Christian education for so long, that we have to provide help with the transition. So when you have faithful pastors saying things like your children shouldn't be, in a institution that hates God, that forbids the name of God, except if someone is cursing or stubs their toe, is lying to them about their origins, is lying to them about history, is presenting 
literature that doesn't edify and it focuses their attention on things that the Bible forbids, it's time to get out. So a lot of people prior to the lockdown said, well, I could never homeschool. Well, that's changing. A lot of people had to homeschool because there was another, no other alternative, even if their school system provided some cursory, you know, tune into your Zoom call for 20 minutes and we'll waste the time taking roll call, which is what happens from what I heard from people. So it's easy to tell people you should start homeschooling. And over the years, I've helped people who said, I think we, this is what God's calling me to do and help them to do it. But there is the idea of sending your child to a Christian school. And the fact is, if you know anything about Christian schools, because of the emphasis on God's word being the foundation, because they promote and demand discipline in terms of the students. So there's certain things that would never be allowed in a Christian school that are allowed in a public school because they have to be, you know, we have to be inclusive or we have to, whatever justification. There are people who say, okay, sign me up. I want to do it. But their children aren't ready for the Christian school. Why? Well, because in a Christian school, first and second grade have people reading very well, and in a public school, fourth and fifth grade might not, because they don't have a standard that says, you're going to understand this before we promote you. In a state school setting, you're promoted or thrown into a special ed class because they're continually interested in having the bodies there so they can get the funding. Now, I'm not impugning the motivation for a lot of Christians who teach in public schools, but let me tell you, they're more frustrated than anyone else. I remember when I started homeschooling, there were a fair number of public school teachers who knew they would never send their children to public schools and their wives were homeschooling. So it's not that even those who are in the middle of it can't tell you it. So this ministry that I have wanted to start for about 15 years, but has now taken hold with everything that's happened in the last year and a half is letting people know, making it known to pastors, to school administrators, to other parents. If you have someone who is interested in removing their children from public schools, send them to me, send them to other people that I have set up to help, and we'll help chart a path to get you out of the situation, which by no means honors God. Well, the next question I want to ask in regard to that then is one that could be posed and is often asked by parents who have been considering homeschooling or maybe considering putting their children into a Christian school, but they know they need some kind of preparation. Or the question may be asked of you and others who are in this ministry, and that is, what are my what what need to be my my qualifications? How, am I qualified? I don't think I'm qualified to teach my children at home. Or Andrea Schwartz, uh, what are your qualifications to prepare my child for a Christian education? And this is where Dr. Rushdini's book, The Philosophy of the Christian Curriculum, is a must read for people who want to deal with that. Because now, as people are saying, you know, 
the colleges are requiring that we have to do certain things in order for them to take our money and educate our children, or they're beginning to see that it's the university settings that basically set the stage for people to hate their country and embrace things like socialism, which the scripture clearly doesn't sanction. So they need to understand, and I tell this over and over again, if you can do something, you can teach it. So if you can read with some really basic tutorial help, you can help someone else learn to read. If you can compute, you can teach someone else the basics of arithmetic. But more importantly, having an influence, a Christian influence, a biblically-based influence, one that's going to say Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord and lords over everything, is a much better educational environment than sending your children to a school with so-called qualified teachers who are going to either because they believe it or they're forbidden to do otherwise to share the good news of Jesus Christ after sharing the bad news that you're a sinner in need for a savior. So it's hard pressed to call anything education that does not have its foundation in Christ. I think that's one of the most important things that people need to understand, and, and the book you recommended by Dr. Rastuni is certainly one uh, resource for that, or for what I'm about to say, and that is people will listen to what you just said and say, well, wait a minute, that sort of sounds like evangelism or you know Sunday school, religious school, and back of that statement is this idea that education is a neutral activity. You know, you, you've got religion over here, and then you've got education and, and brute facts over here. And the perspective of Scripture is, uh, no, there are no such thing, such a thing as brute facts. Uh, they're either God's facts or somebody else's. And, of course, the Bible teaches us that everything created was created by God. So this is where the challenge comes in. If you're of a concern to make sure that your family is grounded biblically, about everything, then why would you turn your children over, uh, either by means of a, of a video class or any other means, to an institution or a teacher that has set themselves totally opposite in opposition to the teachings of Scripture about history, mathematics, uh, biology, every topic you can name? And then the other thing is that um, people need to understand that prior to the 20th century, a lot of the things that we think of today as part of the education system, uh, having a teacher in the third grade or the fifth grade or 10th grade who has a degree in education, who's been board certified by some education board, none of those things existed. So you're left with the fact that you've got to explain how anybody was able to get anything done intellectually and academically prior to the, you know, let's say even 1800s without this massive educational bureaucracy in place compared to today. And then you've got to ask yourself, with all of that in place, with these people who are, quote, qualified, are we smarter? Are we, are we more academically brilliant than, say, the scholars of the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries? I think the answer to that is no. Right. And so this is another place where the type of ministry that you are involved in and that you are talking to us about now can be a means by which people can actually refine and 
promote more excellent education than they could ever get anywhere else. Exactly. Now, to, to use another book, Dr. Rushduni's book actually had two, The Messianic Character of American Education. Just listen to the title, The Messianic Character. So American education, when it was seized by those who wanted alternatives to Christian education, and that's how our educational system was established in terms of uh, credentialing and things like that, created a funnel which said, if you wanted to teach, you have to go through this funnel. And so the, the funnel included the ideas that we now see reaching fruition in our day. Charles, I can't tell you how many parents say things like this to me. You know, I mean, things were fine five years ago. What happened? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. How did everything change? And then they get the history lesson from me that says, no, honey, it's been going on for quite some time. It's just so much more blatant now because the enemies of God, I believe, see resistance and what they need to do in, from their point of view is put a thumbs down. In other words, we are not going to let this brew. So I started homeschooling 40 years ago. The homeschooling and Christian school movement that Dr. Rushduni had a lot to do with probably 55 to 60 years ago. And you have people who have basically been raised not swallowing the idea that if the state government says something, you salute and you must do it. They have learned to do things. Now, some people say, well, look how long it took and look at the mess we're in. I don't think we're in a mess. I think we're in the midst of an opportunity. So when I look around at the church that I've been attending, that remained open during the lockdown, I see a lot of people with gray and white hair, just like mine. And there are people who have gone through life, supported themselves, aren't on the government dole in order to eat their next meal. And they have acquired knowledge, not only from when they were in school, even if they had gone to state schools, but they know how to read. They know how to do basic math. And here are our tutors. We don't need credentials. We don't need people. I mean, my mantra, so to speak, is if you can do it, you can teach it. And with the materials that are available, that basically were the materials that homeschoolers have used for the last 40 or 50 years, that took people who knew stuff but needed to be able to communicate it, there's so much in the way of resources out there that you would be hard-pressed not to be able to find it. And what I found, and I'm sure you experienced this yourself in homeschooling, things that you sort of knew when you were in school, when it came time to teach it, you finally really understood it. Or as in my case, um, I got to teach Latin. <laughs> you know, uh, I had Greek in seminary, but we taught both of our children the, the alphabet, some basic vocabulary in both those languages that they never, never would have gotten anywhere else. So it was an opportunity for me to not only refresh, but also to learn some things. And that's one of the exciting parts about this project. But in terms of recruiting or helping people see themselves as having opportunities to be tutors or mentors themselves and to come alongside people who are struggling during this time and they're they're on the edge and recognizing here's this here's a transition I, I really need to make and I hadn't thought about this before but this has given me an opportunity to really consider this 
whole business of educating my children. What are some of the biggest challenges that you have faced, both um, in, in terms of whether you want to address that question in terms of homeschooling yourself or more particularly uh, enhancing the awareness of other people to be involved in it or recruiting them to do that? Okay. So that's, that's I really like that question because it speaks to the fact of this missed opportunity that quite frankly has been there for a while. I was a um, regular attendee in a lot of churches that had empty classrooms or empty rooms during the week. And it seemed like an incredible waste of space. This is a perfect tutoring center that is neutral in the sense that someone's not going to someone else's house. This is something there. They can go to a objective location. Doors can be open. It can be, you know, parents can sit in. And people can help people with the problems they're having in school, no matter where they are in school. So that's the first thing, having a location to be able to do it. And Charles, churches that should have said yes, never were very interested. Mm. Uh, the church that I'm now attending has space and is willing to use it, but they also have a Christian school attached to the church because they knew that you can't tell people not to do one thing if you don't provide alternatives. So there's a whole group within this church that homeschools, and then there is the Christian school that goes from preschool all the way up to 12th grade. Well, the school is the one that realizes all the people who want to come because they go ahead and apply, and they know, okay, so we assess them, and here's somebody who's fourth grade age, but really isn't even doing first grade work. So how do you help them? The school doesn't have the resources or the salaries to, to just buy help. And there are plenty of Christians who do want to have their hand in ministry. So I go to the schools and I say, look, if you have someone that needs help, put them in touch with me. Now I can't do everybody, but simultaneously to finding candidates, Anybody I'm in touch with who says, how's it going? What are you doing? They get to hear what I'm doing. And you'd be amazed, Charles, at how many people who say, well, I could do that. I would love to do that. And I say, okay, thanks. I'll make sure I you know, contact you about it. And so in the process, I give them some materials. Again, this is something that we can be very grateful to Sam Blumenfeld for. Um, Calcedon has published a number of his books, but the ones that are most helpful, the, the primer on reading, and then the books that go along with it, that if you take somebody through this program, no matter what age they are, you can turn them into a reader. And I tell parents, if all you did was teach someone how to read, and you made sure that they could read the Bible, and you supplied them with reading material, they would get the best education because that's how people were educated in the past. They read. So obviously they learned how to read and then they read. So when these people say, yeah, I, I want to help, but I'm not sure I can, then I suggest Sam Blumenfeld's book, How to Tutor. Because really tutoring is teaching one-on-one. -on -one. And I encourage them, don't get waylaid into thinking you're teaching or tutoring subjects. You are tutoring people. You're looking at a child. You're seeing where the child is, and there are tools to assess, okay, where exactly is this child? But you're going to discover 
attitudes that the child has about himself. I've been tutoring this past couple of weeks. And before I start doing anything, I say to the child, so tell me about yourself. Well, usually they'll say, I don't, not, there's nothing to tell. And I go, I'm sure there's something to tell. And I tell them a little bit about me and they go, oh yeah. And then they start telling me about them and, and tell me what you like best about school. Oh, and then tell me what you don't like about school. And so we get into a conversation. Now, are they right about why they have problems? Usually not. Usually they have no idea. And if you dig deep enough, they either don't know why they have to do a particular subject or they don't like it. And so they've decided that the default position is to say, I'm not very good at it. And then all these people will go away. Well, as I go underneath, I was tutoring a little girl yesterday and I could see as I told her that she was smart and God had made her with a, a mind that could learn, all of a sudden she just broke down in tears. Now, her mother was there and her mother was sort of astonished, right? And I asked her, I said, why are you crying? And she said, because I'm a loser. Everybody tells me I'm a loser. Now, keep in mind, Charles, this girl read very well. So mm. academically, she was not a loser. Right. And I just looked at her and I said, uh, God doesn't make losers. Right. I'm sorry. You're absolutely wrong. I said, I'm a lot older than you. I'm <laughs> smarter than you. And I'm going to tell you conclusively, you are not a loser. And she sort of smiled through the tears. This is the opportunity we have in tutoring. We get to talk to people. We get to remind them that as students, this is a calling under God. And then Afterwards, when she left the room, the mother came up and hugged me and she said, I learned things about my daughter in the last hour that I didn't know. I didn't know things she could do. I didn't know where she struggled. Thank you so much. So wow. this ministry is not only helping the students, it's helping families because you know what? They don't have a lot of support in the culture and certainly in the state schools, parents are not being elevated as the authority structure God placed children under. You know, it occurs to me as you're talking about this, the question that we asked at the beginning, are you, uh, or do you see the harvest? You know, there's another way of asking that, are you seeing it? And I want to run this by you to see what your thoughts are in terms of the opportunities that present, present themselves in these days. And I'm thinking of uh, a man known to you and I both, I won't mention his name, but he, uh, he has uh, established over the years a network of very, very good Christian schools in Florida. And um, I think that his approach to that was, look, if people are going to put their kids in daycare, they can just as easily give them to me and I'll educate them to be Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, do you see a similar type of opportunity here with what you're talking about with this project? Um, certainly, although a lot of schools, like for example, the school that I'm working with, are very much a discipleship school. So they want the parents to be Christian. They want the parents to be attending church. Doesn't have to be their church, but they want people there because they're specifically working to produce warriors and ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Different schools can have different emphasis. However, you are helping people with their perceived needs. Now, there are plenty of people, Charles, who think public school is fine. They really like it. You send your kid to public school. That means you can go to your exercise class, your yoga class. You can have a career. 
you know, I have to wait for those people to come to the realization that they will stand before God and give an account on how they stewarded the lives of their children. So right now, I'm focusing on those people who go up to the pastors and say, oh, I just wish I had an alternative. And then they give my number. Then there are other people who say, I wish I could help, but you know, I'm busy. Well, good. Let's talk about funding scholarships for these people. Let's find people that in this church who want the alternative. You've got extra money. Maybe you, even if you don't have extra money, you should be doing a poor tithe at least every third and sixth year. And if they don't understand that, I share with them what that is. And you can fund somebody's Christian education, but not anonymously. I want you to be involved so that the student realizes that somebody who's obeying God has invested in them. So now you not only have a scholarship student, you have families that are very grateful. And now the body of Christ is acting like the family it's supposed to be. So there are lots of ways to help. You can tutor, you can refer people to various people who are willing to help, and you can fund the kingdom because this is the kingdom work. If you go back to that passage I read in scripture, Jesus had compassion on them because they were hurting. So this is very much a compassion ministry. And when I get the opportunity to sit with these students, and in the past two weeks, I've sat with 10 of them. That's why I've got to get other people to help me out because there's no way I can just do this all by myself. But one young man who was going into high school, I said, and I always ask this question, why do you want to go to this school? And he looked at me and he said, because I'm tired of being lied to in public schools with things like critical race theory. And I was yeah. like, okay, yeah. you see, this is somebody who we educate he, and he wants what's here. So the first tier are those who want it, but need help getting it. Then we can continue to spread the message in terms of why it's necessary. And maybe families need to hear it three or four times before they say, this is an obedience question. I'm going to stand before God and give an account. And maybe the fear of God kicks in and they start looking for answers. What One mother told me, well, maybe I could quit my job. And because the Christian school locally is looking for people to work there, maybe I could, I could actually work at the school and then my three children could go there at a reduced rate and we could, we could afford it. You see, just having someone talk to them showing alternatives. That I think is where that's the qualification. The only qualification is you have to know for certain that providing children with knowledge of God's word and educating them in it is more important than any degree or any SAT score or any college admission they could ever hope for. Because I believe those things are going by the wayside. If some colleges are now saying, you can't come here unless you get the shot, a lot of people are going to go, maybe I should look for another alternative. So yes. the enemies of God are actually helping us. And I wish people would see that. In California, more people start homeschooling because of the failure of the state school system. So, I mean, maybe we should, maybe we already do with our tax dollars, but they should get a referral fee because they're convincing people a lot more effectively than pulpits have for the last 10 years. 
And I'm reminded of what Joseph said to his brothers in the latter chapters in Genesis. You know, you meant this for my harm, but the Lord meant it for good. And uh, we certainly see things like that happening in places all over the country with governments being very heavy handed about these kind of things. And like you're describing, it's uh, rebounding to something that the Lord will use to continue to spread his kingdom uh, throughout the earth. And I want to ask you this because let's, let's say, okay, we've got maybe a typical audience for this particular podcast of people who have been, or maybe currently are homeschooling. They, they don't need convincing about any of that for any reason, or maybe they have their children in a good Christian school that understands these things, but maybe there's also a broader growing audience, especially in light of what's happening or what has happened with the shutdown of schools in the past year and a half, who maybe these folks are reasonably serious evangelical Christian types, but they've never really given much thought to the kind of things we're talking about, but maybe now they are. And you've, you've said, look, if, if, you can, if you can do arithmetic, you can teach it, you can mentor someone. But let's say somebody's looking for some, some resources. You know, where do you direct people? If they, do they need to purchase curriculum to, to do what, what you're doing? Uh, do they need to go to a website? Uh, what, what do you recommend? Okay, so let me just say, this is still in a pilot stage. So a lot of times I think something is going to work a particular way, and it turns out to work a different way. So no, there is no website they can go to. There is an email that I have set up so that people who specifically want who are interested in how to help and that they want to help, not that they want convincing that they should. Don't contact me if you want somebody to convince you you should do something and then give all the reasons why you can't. I'm interested <laughs> in people who are saying, I'm, I'm ready to help. The mindset has to be that it's not necessarily going to be glamorous work. Um, I tell people all the time, Tutor doesn't this sound great? She's tutoring. And then a lot of times I'll be there because I show up on time and then I'll get an email that says, well, I had to go to the grocery store. I'll have my student there in such and such a time. Trust me, Charles. It's like, Ugh, why do I do this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that's what a lot of kingdom work is. It's drudgery. It's getting, getting the stones out of the path so that you can plant something. So you have to be willing to be underappreciated at times and when the parents finally say, well, how much do you want for this? I said, oh, this is a volunteer ministry. I'm storing up treasures in heaven. Thank you very much. And now all of a sudden, they're going to look at you a little differently. And so they show up on time. They show up early because they value it. And they realize I'm not going to continue if I'm more interested than they are. That's what I tell the students at the beginning. If I ever feel like I care more about this than you do, then we're going to have to have a conversation. Because you know what? There's plenty of other people I can help. If you don't value it, you're being given a gift and God put it on my heart to help you. So you need to respond to the gift and realize it comes from God. So in, in having this work out, what I try to do when I have volunteers and I just got to see it yesterday, if I have boy students, I try to hook them up with um, someone they're going to relate to. And so especially when Boys get older. They do much better with men than they do with women because I contend that most boys have had too many women in their lives as teachers. They need a man who they're not going to be able to maybe hoodwink, who remembers what it's like. So I, I had this one student going into ninth grade with this man who 
wasn't sure he could do it, but I said, look, you've raised two successful children. You helped them with their homework. Of course you could do it. Well, I introduced them to each other. They had a conversation. By the time I came back, they had found out all the things they had in common. And the tutor said, pretty soon he's going to be ahead of me. I'm going to go brush up on my fractions and on my, um, my decimals and such. Uh-huh. But they had established a relationship. And so I move out of the picture. I help if there are problems, but that's what I wanted. I wanted this student now to have his parents know there's another Christian who's interested in their son's success. And I tell you, it will be a very, very difficult thing to combat because this is all about Christian love and doing what God has told us to do. Well, this my next question uh, is sort of been in the background, and you've referred to it obliquely in a few occasions, like you you just did just now. But the question is: Is there an age range? So, in terms of the age of the student, the one being tutored, or even in terms of the parents, the, the type of people that you are involved with in preparing for education, what uh, what are the chronological concerns, if I can put it that way? Well, most recently it has to do with, you know, grammar school, middle school, high school, because I've been being referred people from the school, mm-hmm. but it, it could be anything. It could be a mom. Who, I mean, it could be a mom who's struggling with homeschooling and she just needs some advice in terms of how to unstick a situation that seems to be not moving. And you might decide, you know, once or twice a month that you'll spend time with her student and, you know, praise the student for, oh, I, your mom says you've been doing a good job or it says that there's a problem here. You know this from being a parent, but I've heard it in the last week. When parents watch me with their children, they'll say, uh, I don't get it. I've been saying this to my daughter. I've been saying this to my son forever, but you say it. And suddenly they say, wow. And I said, well, Jesus had the same problem. (laughs) Prophets not without honor, except in his own hometown. So consider it a help. So it could be any age. If you know people in your congregation, and chances are they won't admit it, who are adults who are functionally illiterate, um, help them. A short transgression here. I mentioned Blumenfeld's Alpha Phonics. Well, 20 years ago, maybe it was a little long, actually longer than that. It has to be more like 30 plus years ago. I was uh, studying martial arts and I discovered that the man who ran the studio, who was a sixth, seventh degree black belt, couldn't read. Mm. And so I invited him to get tutored. So I brought him through the Alpha Phonics program. What I like about Alpha Phonics, there aren't silly pictures so that an adult is going to say, do I really have to look at the balloons and the little bunnies? It's just (laughs) just words. And you're teaching them how to do the words. So we went through it. Time passed. He moved out of the area. He wasn't a Christian at the time, by the way. He used to be very sarcastic about Christians, things like that. But I was in his studio and I was, you know, witnessing. Anyway, years later, he found me on Facebook and he said, teach, I want to let you know I'm a Christian and I just finished reading Luther's Bondage of the Will. Oh, wow. What a great report. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I I scattered some seeds. Was I the only one? Probably not because a lot of time had passed. When I'm talking about the harvest is there, if your eyes are open, you will see needs. And 
I pray for them. I pray that God will do it. Another example, this one isn't necessarily education, but could lead to it. So you go to a church and that church has children that stay in the service. And you notice that the mother or the father is struggling, keeping all these kids in line. Offer to sit next to them. Befriend the child. Have the child say, I'm sitting next to you because I, I, you know, I really want you to learn how to be here or whatever. And I'm so proud of you. And, you know, so when it comes time to go to the, you know, potluck afterwards, you know, can I sit with you? In other words, there are needs. Families have needs. If your eyes are open, you will see those needs. The same way if children walked in and they didn't have shoes on, you would notice this family could use some shoes. So buy them some shoes and then become involved in their family. Well, before I forget, I want to mention um, an option for some resources. We, we've mentioned the name Sam Blumenfeld several times. And uh, the Chalcedon Foundation and the bookstore have some great resources as well as some audio resources. He was uh, an occasional, maybe even a frequent guest on the, uh, the Easy Chair uh, discussions that Dr. Rustuni and Otto Scott used to have. And you can hear him there. But another uh, resource for, um, I think, just about all of Sam's works is made available by uh, a good friend of ours and a friend to Chalcedon, and that's Hal Shirtliff and Ca Camp Constitution. They have on their website, uh, I think, just about all of Sam's materials. So that was another great resource for his stuff. Uh, the man's ministry and wisdom is just unparalleled and highly recommendable. Now, I, I want to ask you another question. That this is this is sort of a um, a neophyte type question that comes up early when people are talking about this project, but it might be helpful to ask it here in this context. Because uh, there are so many new people who've been sort of thrust into this situation about having to consider educating their children at home. And that's this issue that we hear perennially, and that is socialization. Well, I think this is okay, but, you know, I'm so afraid my children won't be socialized. What, what's, the, what's the response to that? You should be scared to death that your children will be socialized. <laughs> yes. I mean, look at all those socialized people who were upset about what they considered was an injustice and their solution was to target people who had nothing to do with the injustice that they thought had taken place. Right. Um, that socialization, I think of all the years that Christians have been going, Oh no, no, my children are socialized. My children, we don't want them socialized. I used to joke with people and say, no, I'm not interested in that. I would hate for my children's bad habits to be transferred to someone else. <laughs> well, and, and two, the socialization on some measure, like uh, education, is unavoidable. Question is, who's going to socialize your kids? What environment are they going to be in to be socialized? And, you know, I, I, as we've been talking about this, I think back to the theological and religious dimension to this question of education. And I think back to God's statement to Abraham in Genesis 17, you know, I'm going to be your God and the God of your children. And you can go even further back than that when uh, the Lord tells Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Those are profoundly generational statements. Absolutely. They look forward to progress over time toward a certain specific goal, and that is the triumph of Christ's kingdom. Well, of course, Satan has his counterfeit. Uh, there's the antitype to that, and it too has been generational. 
And that's why those of us of a certain age, for example, who in my case, I went to public school all my life until I went to seminary many years after I'd been out of public schools, including, you know, public uh, grammar school, junior high, high school and, and university. That's why you have a, you had a situation where in the early 60s, prayer was taken out of public school. Every, you hear these people every now and again, oh, that was the worst thing that ever happened. Prayer came out of public school. Well, no, the worst thing that ever happened was public school, period. <laughs> right. But, but it, if we can see that as a, as a sort of a starting point, it doesn't stop there, see? Uh, the fact is you had people in government schools who came out of a largely, even if only nominal Christian culture. But how do we get from that to having drag queen story hour in the yes. third grade class? Well, it is a generational vision on the part of those who hate God's law. Uh, you know, when John Dewey said about his work that gave us a lot, or even earlier, uh, I can't think of the guy's name from New England that uh, is also considered a, a father of public education. Um, but they knew they would not live to see the fruit of their labors, but they had disciples who would pick the torch up and keep moving with it. And that's how we got to where we are today with Drag Queen Story Hour in the third grade. Right. But let me just point something out in case people think, wow, we've been losing, we've been losing. No, we have not. We have been winning, but we've been winning on a generational scale because when you do what God says, you're blessed by it. So think of all the people who are questioning the totalitarian moves of their governors or the federal government. Why do you suppose censoring is happening? Why do you suppose that when you travel on the freeway, the signs, the neon signs that were supposed to tell you about traffic accidents or an abduction are telling you to go get a shot? Why is it that there is an approved narrative because they're, they're combating something. So don't think that the last 50, 60 years of Christians saying, no, I'm not going to give my children to the state schools. However imperfectly they did it, we have people saying, no, I can't do this because it goes against the Bible. When you see the resistance, when you see how many people, whether they were self-consciously saying, you know, we believe the scriptures of God, they were rejecting the humanistic narrative that there's better than average evidence that the results of certain elections were tampered with because the desired result didn't happen. We have to see this as the enemy getting scared and we're not going to use conventional weapons. The weapons of our warfare include the word of God in every dimension. So if we can snatch people out of the throes of, you know, public education and give them a foundation in Christ, I tell all the students I tutor, I have high hopes for you. I can see that if you stay on this path, you're going to do great things for the kingdom of God. And Charles, you see it in their face. Somebody's talking to them in that you were created for a purpose and that's what we have to offer. Well, on that note, maybe this would be a good point for us to um, wrap up and say that this is a great ministry. Uh, the Lord has blessed you and can potentially bless everyone uh, who can add two plus two equals four or read that uh, up is down and left and right. So how do people, if they want to reach out and find out more about what they can do, how they can get involved in this ministry, what would you recommend for that? So I, I created a 
email address so that I could keep track of these people. It's sharingyourlife777 at gmail.com. The three sevens, it's the number of completion. And because sharingyourlife at gmail.com wasn't available, so I had to add the three sevens there. The point is that I, someone says, tell me more so I can give them a reading list. Um, one woman last week said, I want to know what to do. I said, well, Sam Blumenfeld's How to Tutor, The Alpha Phonics, and The Readers. You go through that and you'll see how there's a step-by-step approach. Um, some people need a little bit more philosophy behind it. So then there are other things. But personally, Charles, I don't want to talk to people who need to be convinced they ought to do something. I want people who are convinced that the harvest is out there and they just want help going out and being the laborers. Um, in the meantime, those who understand these principles can make sure that this is the topic of conversation. If somebody's going to talk to you, you're going to tell them all about the need to um, help Christian families give their children a Christian education. After a while, people know that's what you're going to talk about. And they, if they want to spend time with you, they just sort of tolerate it. And then some actually say, oh, I could do that. I'd like to help. Well, Andrea, thank you so very much for sharing these insights in this ministry, and uh, may the Lord use it to encourage others. And uh, until our next podcast, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.